Amen. You may be seated. We are going to continue in our worship through the preaching of God's word. And so I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. It's also in your bulletin as well. And I want to read our passage for us this morning. So 1 Kings chapter 12. It starts by saying this. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and, he will, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? He asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our, our yoke lighter. Tell them my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. If you will, bow with me in prayer. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. God, that in it are the words to life, that in it... We, we see our brokenness and our need for salvation, and in it we see the only name by which we can be saved, the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray for Pastor Kevin as he faithfully proclaims your word, that you would give him clarity of mind. And Lord, we pray for ourselves that as we engage with your word, that your Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are willing to be shaped and molded and conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. Lord, bless this time this morning. Let it be fruitful for us. Lord, we love you and we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Ryan. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for that time of worship. Uh, when you came in, you should have received a bulletin. On the back of that bulletin, you will find a message map. Let me go ahead and apologize 
for the small font uh, that is on there. Today's passage is a little long. If you're young, that small font does not bother you. If you're older, consider it a workout for your eyes uh, to make them stronger. If you'll find that, maybe a pen or something to take notes, notes with. And while you're doing that, let me take a moment to welcome those who are in our overflow room, uh, as well as those who are joining us by video or by podcast. We are uh, glad that you are with us today. It was on October 14, 1962, that a U.S. spy plane piloted by Major Richard Hayser took photographs of newly built missile silos in Cuba. It was quickly determined that the Soviet Union was shipping uh, weapons to Cuba, and it was in the process of constructing launchers capable of sending missiles to targets all across the United States. This discovery led to a 13-day standoff between the United States and the Soviet Union. For nearly two weeks, the world held its collective breath as these two nations stood on the brink of nuclear war. During that time, then-President John Kennedy met with his advisors, many of whom advised him to launch a military airstrike on Cuba and to take out these newly constructed missile sites. Kennedy considered this option but understood that it would likely lead to a retaliation by the Soviet Union and potentially a full-scale nuclear war. So instead, he ordered a naval quarantine around Cuba so that no more military supplies could be shipped from the Soviet Union into Cuba. It was on October 22nd of that year in a dramatic televised speech that Kennedy informed the citizens of the United States of the discovery of these missiles and the demand that he had made to Khrushchev the premier of the Soviet Union, to remove these missiles immediately or the United States would be forced to retaliate. For the next several days, the world stood on edge. It seemed that nuclear war was imminent. However, Khrushchev ultimately backed down and agreed to remove the missiles if the United States would publicly declare their intention to not launch an invasion of Cuba, and it was later discovered if the United States would secretly agree to remove missiles from Turkey. There was one article that I read on, on this standoff, and it described the tremendous pressure that President Kennedy was under to launch a full-scale military attack on Cuba. Both from his military advisors and from members of Congress, there was a call for retaliation. Uh, and it would have been an appropriate response uh, to this aggression by the Soviet Union. Kennedy would have received a lot of support for this action, but he also understood that it would have led to a greater conflict and potentially to nuclear war. And so he made the decision to, yes, exert strength, but to do so first through a diplomatic solution. Historians have said that that decision on the part of Kennedy is recognized as one that changed the history of the world. 
Most of us in this room will not face decisions that will alter history. Uh, We will not face decisions of that magnitude, but we will still face decisions in our lives uh, that will not necessarily alter history, but will alter the course of our lives, or our families' lives, or our friends' lives, or our co-workers' lives. Uh, And so how do we make those decisions? How do we make those big decisions in life? Uh, The decisions that go beyond where you will go eat at a restaurant or whether to buy the blue shirt or the green shirt. How do we make those big decisions like, do I stay at this job or do I accept this other job offer? Do I marry this person that I've been dating for some period of time or do we have a DTR? Do you know what a DTR is? It stands for defining the relationship, and it means that at the end of the conversation, you will likely no longer be together. That's a DTR. Do I buy this house, or do I stay where I am? Do I start this business, or do I stay in my current job? What do we do when we find that we are at a crossroads in life? What steps can we go through to make sure that we are making the right decision when we face those big decisions. That's what we are talking about today as we go through the passage that Ryan read earlier. If you've been in church for a long time, you know that this was a crossroads moment in the history of Israel. They go from, in this passage, being a united kingdom to a divided kingdom. How did that happen? Well, if you've been here with us, you know that Solomon, the third king over Israel, began his reign faithfully following the Lord. But over time, he began to drift. He began to compromise to the point that he began to follow other gods besides the Lord. And he drifted so far that God eventually raised up a prophet who went to the right-hand man of Solomon, a man named Jeroboam. And this prophet said, the kingdom will divide and you will be the leader over the northern kingdom. Essentially what happened was 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel were considered the northern kingdom. And then two of the tribes were considered the southern kingdom. Uh, The southern kingdom consisted of Judah, which was a large tribe. And it was the region where Jerusalem sat. And then there was a small tribe named Benjamin that was essentially absorbed by Judah. And God came to Jeroboam and said, you will be the leader of the northern kingdom. Solomon heard about this and he was not happy, so he tried to have Jeroboam killed. So Jeroboam fled to Egypt to escape for his life. And all of this happens in the first 11 chapters of of 1 Kings. And when you read all of this in 1 Kings, you find that it's just a royal mess. That everything has just sort of gone wrong, that there there are these few bright spots, but at this point, it has been an absolute mess. And so you open chapter 12, and it seems like there is a new opportunity for Israel to right the ship, to get back on the right track, to follow God faithfully again. In the first verses that Ryan read earlier, we are introduced uh, to Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Uh, Rehoboam was the only son of Solomon that we know by name. Uh, As we talked about last week, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And so there is 
better than, than average chance that Solomon had multiple, multiple sons. But we don't know how many, and we do not know them by name. With, with 700 wives and 300 concubines, there's a good chance he didn't know how many, or by name. But Rehoboam is the only one we know of. He was the oldest. He was the son of uh, Solomon's first wife, a lady named Nama. And so chapter 11 ends with Solomon dying and Rehoboam getting ready to be coronated as king. He goes to a city called Shechem, located in the north of Israel. Normally this coronation would have taken place in Jerusalem, the capital city where the temple was located, the palace was located. But Solomon understood that there was tension within Israel. Uh, while they were at peace with their enemies, within Israel there was strife. And so he goes to Shechem to there to try to make peace with the northern kingdom. And Rehoboam at this point knew that he needed to solidify his reign. At the same time, Jeroboam comes back from Egypt and he becomes the spokesperson for the northern kingdom. And they come to Rehoboam and they have a request. Jeroboam is a spokesperson, comes to Rehoboam, and this is the request. We read this in verse 4. Your father, Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Now, if you've been here for any part of this series, you understand exactly why Solomon put a heavy yoke on the people of Israel. It's not that he was particularly mean or harsh in his nature. It's just that Solomon was a go-getter who built all the time. He constructed the temple, the hall of justice. He expanded the palace. He was always building something. Solomon never took a break. He always had another idea for some other project, and this required work on the part of the people. I remember in 2019 going to Israel and going to the city of Jerusalem and going to visit the Western Wall, or what is called the Wailing Wall. It's the portion of Solomon's temple that still remains, the base of the Temple Mount. And you can go there and you can see those massive blocks that were used as the foundation for the Temple Mount. Our guide told us that some of those blocks weigh over 200,000 pounds. And that there are some that are among the heaviest of those blocks that are several times that weight. How in the world did they get those blocks in place before there were 18-wheelers and heavy-duty cranes and machinery? How did they construct all of that? Through back-breaking work. And throughout his 40-year reign, Solomon built all the time. So that the people of Israel looked at Rehoboam and said, we need a break. We need a rest. This was a critical crossroads moment for Rehoboam. This was decision time. What would the new king do? Would he agree with their request? Yes, I'll let up. Or would he say, no, you're going to have to keep working? This question leads us to what's on your message map and a process that you and I can go through when we're making these really big decisions in life. 
Here's the first one. You can see it there. When making big decisions, the first thing to do is to simply pause, to take a break, to take a breath and pause. Notice the response of Rehoboam when the people asked this question about lightening the load. Here's what he said, verse 5. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. This was, on Rehoboam's part, a good first move. He essentially said, give me some time to think. I'm not going to make this decision right now on the spot. Give me three days to consider your request. Again, a good first step. Snap decisions on big decisions in life are rarely good decisions. I do not have any statistics on this, but my guess would be that the divorce rate among couples who on a spur of the moment notice decide to go to Vegas and get married in front of a guy dressed in an Elvis outfit, that that divorce rate is higher than the average couple. I would guess. Again, I do not have statistics on it, but marriage is a big decision. And so a snap decision to get married is normally not a good decision. There are decisions that we face in life that need some time where we need to stop and pause and consider our options. Rehoboam's father Solomon understood this. In the book of Proverbs, which was mostly written by Solomon, he wrote this. He made this observation. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Solomon looked around and in all of his wisdom, in his observation of life, here is what he saw. He said, those in the financial world, those who are acting in some sort of financial capacity, when they act hastily, they do so foolishly. In other words, when the salesman makes the great pitch and says, but this deal is only good for the next 30 minutes, the best answer there is to say, I think I'll pass. <laughs> I need some time to consider. Hasty decisions lead to poverty, but the plans of the diligent, the plans of those who, who pause and who thoughtfully and carefully consider the options, those plans lead to abundance. The first thing to do when facing a major decision is to pause and consider options. Do not make a hasty decision. The second thing, and you can see this on your message map, is to seek wise counsel. To seek wise counsel. As we heard earlier, that's exactly what Rehoboam did. Uh, he's asked this question of the people. Will you lighten our load? Will you make it easier for us? And so he goes to the elders, these men who served under his father, King David, and he says to them, the people have come and they've asked me to lighten their load. What should I do? And this is their response in verse 7. They said, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. 
Here is what the elders understood. These men who had served under Solomon, here is what they understood. That yes, Solomon accomplished a whole lot. But Solomon put a heavy burden on the people with all of his projects. So the elders say to Rehoboam, go to the people and say, I'll back off. I will lighten your load. And if you will do that, they will be loyal to you forever. In fact, you will have a successful reign if you will agree to their request. Again, this was a good move on the part of Rehoboam um, to go to these elders, to those who had wisdom, and to ask their advice. And I wonder if Rehoboam remembered what his father Solomon had written about seeking good, wise counsel. Again, in the book of Proverbs, written by Solomon specifically to Rehoboam, in the very first chapter, Solomon wrote these words. This is on your message map. You can see that there under that point number two. It said, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. Again, Solomon, in all of his wisdom, observed life and said this, People who seek wise counsel make better decisions. You and I, when we face those crossroad decisions in life, will do well to seek good, godly, wise counsel. So who do you go to? Who do you go to when you need counsel? Who are good, godly advisors? Let me give you several traits of individuals that are good to go to when you need godly counsel. Number one, someone who knows your story. Someone who knows your story or is willing to listen and hear your story. Someone who knows about you and understands the details of the decision that you're facing. Number two, they need to be biblically sound and spiritually mature. When you're trying to make a decision and you're getting advice from someone, you want to make sure that person is looking at your situation through the filter of a biblical lens. And they're able to give you advice that is grounded in God's truth. Uh, also, they need to be a good listener. Someone who listens to your story, who listens to your problem, who understands your emotions, who can even listen to your heart in the matter. Not someone who is half listening or just trying to think of their answer while you're talking. Uh, someone who exercises confidentiality. So an individual who's not going to talk about your situation. They're not going to go around and tell others the problems that you're facing or the struggle that you're going through or this decision that you're facing. Uh, next, they will be honest. An individual that will tell you the truth even if you do not want to hear that truth. They are willing to be honest with you even if you're going to get mad at them for their honesty. And finally, the last thing. This person should have nothing to lose or gain from your decision. That they will not personally benefit if you make one decision, and they will not personally experience loss if you make another decision. I like to go to people who are able to be completely objective because I feel like their advice is going to be the right advice. 
Rehoboam evidently did this. He went to individuals who were able to give good advice. They filled these traits, or at least some of these traits, and they gave him good advice. Here was the problem. You heard it earlier. Rehoboam did not like their advice. He did not like what they had to say, which leads to our next step in making big decisions. So pause, seek wise counsel, and number three, you can write this in, avoid echo change chambers. Avoid echo chambers. Are you familiar with that term? An echo chamber? All it does is repeat what you say to it. An echo chamber simply reinforces your existing belief. That's what Rehoboam did. He sought an echo chamber because he did not like the advice of the elders. He did not want to lighten the load of the Israelites. Likely, this was a pride issue. His father Solomon, even though he put a heavy load on the people, was considered to be a great king. He he instilled pride in the nation because of all of his expansion projects. And Rehoboam said, I want to be considered as great or even greater than my father Solomon. And so when the elders said, lighten their load, he said, I do not like their advice. So notice what he did, verse 8. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. Parenthetically, these young men that had no more life experience than he had, and more importantly, they were his employees. They were serving him. They were not unbiased. So he goes to these young men and he asks them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid, a heavy, laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So a couple things here. One, my little finger is bigger than my father's waist was just a way of saying, you think dad was tough? You think dad was harsh? Just wait. I'm going to be 10 times as harsh. And his, his friend said, look, you, th- you tell the people, Dad put on, on a heavy yoke, I'll make it even heavier. Dad used whips, you tell them I'll use scorpions. Uh, a scorpion was a type of whip that, that had many different leather straps on it, and it was used not on slaves to keep them working, it was used to punish criminals. And so they say to Rehoboam, tell them, I'm not going to treat you like employees, I'm going to treat you like criminals. I'm going to punish you if you do not work. And so basically he goes and says, you think dear old dad was was harsh. Just wait. It's going to get really bad. This so-called advice from these individuals uh, came from those who did not have Rehoboam. And they worked for Rehoboam. And they told Rehoboam, what he wanted to hear. 
Rehoboam's father Solomon, again, in Proverbs, warned against spending too much, much time with and following the advice of fools. Notice what we read in Proverbs 13. You can see this verse on your message map. Walk with the wise and become wise. Spend time with those who are wise and you'll become wise. Walk with the wise, follow the advice of the wise, and life will go well. However, for a companion of fools will suffer harm. Those who spend time with, who take the advice of, who have a close friendship with those who are fools, they will suffer harm. The friends of Rehoboam were fools and gave him foolish advice. As you heard Ryan read earlier, Rehoboam followed the advice of the young men, and it split the nation of Israel in two. It took 120 years under Saul and David and Solomon to build the nation of Israel. And it took three days for Rehoboam to split it in two. Rehoboam faced this major decision and he went to these echo chambers to figure out what he, could, what he should do. And when he did that, the consequences were disastrous. So what do we do when we face a major decision in life? One, pause. Secondly, seek godly advice. Thirdly, avoid echo chambers. And here's the last one. Write this in. Seek the Lord seriously. Seriously seek the Lord. Look back at first, verse 15. I want you to notice what this verse tells us. It says, so the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. Now, I know that particular verse can cause some confusion, and it raises a big question. This whole division of Israel, was this from the Lord, or was this because of the decision that Rehoboam made? Here's the answer. Yes, it, it was both. Yes, the Lord had this in his plans. However, Rehoboam was fully responsible for this decision. And here's what we see in this passage. The author of this passage is clear that Rehoboam did not seek the Lord in the decision that he made. And, and this is something that is reinforced in 2 Chronicles. You can see this verse there on your message map. Here's what we see about Rehoboam. It says, he did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. Well, what did Rehoboam do? He did evil. His acts were evil. Why? Because he did not seek the Lord. Rehoboam did not seek God. And therefore, his actions had disastrous consequences. Now, I'll confess to you that I do not seek the Lord on every single decision I make throughout my day. When I get dressed in the morning, I do not stand in my closet and look and say, Oh, Lord, which outfit should I wear? And spend time praying and seeking the Lord on a decision like that. If I go to a, re a restaurant and the waiter or waitress comes over and says, Can I take your order? I do not say no, go away, come back in three days. 
And after I've stopped to consider options and consulted godly advice and avoided echo chambers, you know, then I will have a decision for you. I do not do this on every decision, and the truth is none of us do. We make hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of decisions every single day, and we do not need to go through these steps on every decision. But on the big decisions, on those big, massive, crossroads decisions in life, we need to go through this process, and we need to make sure that throughout the process that we are asking God, is this from you? I need you to show me what to do. In 2006, uh, Katie and I faced one of those crossroads decisions. Uh, we were praying about what the next chapter of our lives together would look like. Uh, the first chapter had been very, fairly brief. We had only been married uh, about a year, but we sensed that the Lord was closing a door and that, that He was calling us to do something else. And after a lot of prayer, we began to sense that the Lord was calling us to go overseas and serve as missionaries. And so we applied with the International Mission Board. We filled out an application online, and after a period of time, they emailed us back, and they invited us to come to Richmond, Virginia, where the headquarters for the International Mission Board are located, and to interview with them. And they said, now, during this time, you need to be looking online at the different positions that we have available and considering where you think you might want to go should this work out and we offer you a job working with the mission board. And so we did. We went online and we had sensed during this time that God uh, was calling us to work with university students, uh, to do something in college ministry. And, and so that quickly narrowed down the opportunities that were available to us. And in fact, there were two that were available in Spain and there was one that was available in Belgium. And so every day we would go and we would check these opportunities and we would see there was one in Belgium and these two in Spain, and that was really it. So throughout this process, leading uh, up to the time that we were supposed to go and interview in person, uh, there were a couple of things that were going on. Uh, one was I was really struggling uh, with leaving the United States, uh, resigning from my job, Katie resigning from her job, and moving overseas. And several times I said to the Lord, I am willing to do this, but God, I've got to know that it's from you. Now, I'm nervous about resigning. I'm nervous about leaving. I just, I, I've got to know that it's from you. The other thing that was happening during this time was that in every conversation that we would have, Katie would say, I just do not think that either the jobs in Spain or the job in Belgium are the ones that God has for us. And I would say, what do you mean? She said, well, I can't really explain it, but I, I feel like I have come across several times in my reading or just, you know, conversations with people, something about Italy. In fact, specifically Rome, Italy. And she said, I think that God is calling us to Rome. And I said, I said are you sure? And she said, I'm not sure, but I just have this nudge in my spirit. And I said, well, that's great, but the, the Lord needs to nudge the International Mission Board because we go online and these are the jobs that are available and, and there's just no opportunity in Rome. She said, oh, no, I'm just telling you, I think that that's what God's doing. So the day finally came that we were to drive from our home in Charlotte, North Carolina to Richmond, Virginia. 
we went through a series of interviews, and we got through with the interviews, and they said, now we want you to go to, to what is a sim- essentially a job fair. And we would go to all these different meetings where they would have representatives from each of the regions from around the world, and those representatives would talk about their region and the job opportunities available in each of their regions. And then they would basically say, if, if you're interested in any of these, come talk to us. So we went to one, and it was a presentation from the representative from Africa, and they would say, here's what we're doing in Africa, and here are the jobs that are available. Come see me if you'd like to go uh, to apply for one of these jobs. And the Pacific Rim and Eastern Europe, and the last one of the day was Western Europe. And we sat through the presentation. A girl who represented Western Europe got up and she said, we've got this opportunity and this opportunity, and here's what we do. And she said, you've seen the job openings online that are listed. If you're interested in any of those, please come talk to me. And then she said, oh yeah, and by the way, there's one that's not listed. It's working with university students in Rome, Italy. If you're interested in any of these, come talk to me. We left, leapt over five rows of chairs <laughs> to get to the girl and to say, that's ours. We've been praying about it, and that's us. And ultimately, that's where we went and served the Lord for a year. The Lord was just so gracious, knowing that I needed something that showed me clearly this was from Him. And I know there are many of you in here right now, and you're at some crossroads decision. Maybe it's a job opportunity. Maybe it's a move to buy another house. Maybe it's potential marriage. Maybe it's some other huge crossroads decision. And you're struggling, and you're struggling, and you're struggling. You're wondering, what is, what is it that I should do? And you're pleading with the Lord, please show me, please make it clear. Here's what I want to say to you. God is so good and so faithful and so true. And God will show you what decision you are to make. But he's got a process that he wants you to go through. And there is a period of time that he wants you to struggle with him, to seek his face during this process. Because it's not just the answer that he's wanting to give you. But it's that relationship with Him that He's wanting to develop. So trust in Him, trust in Him, trust in Him that He is faithful and true and will guide you in the right path. But do not try to short-circuit the process of seeking His face. Because at the end of the day, it is that relationship with Him that makes all the difference in the world in our lives. 